Well, come on up, gentle people. I am happy, happy, happy that you're here today. And I wanted to talk with you about something called end times. Have you ever heard of end times? What do the end times could be? Anything. Well, end times are when things end. Why am I dressed like this? Do you have any idea why you think I might be dressed like this? What does this shirt remind you of? Hawaii. Hawaii. Why would I be wearing a shirt about Hawaii? I live in Alaska. Because my daughter and her husband and their children live in Hawaii. And today is their last Sunday in Hawaii. They are moving to a new place called Michigan. And next Friday, they get on the plane and they leave. So this is their last week in Hawaii. So in honor of that, and to let them know if they're watching on the video, I am wearing this as I pray for them for this week that God would move in a powerful way in their lives, even in these last days, as they're trying to visit with all of their friends and see all the things that they want to see before they leave. But the other thing I was reminded of, between the last days, these are the last days of summer. How many of you guys have been seeing the fire beat? And it's been growing, 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 and all the blossoms are finally going away. And now the snow, the, the, the snow, if you will, the little fluffy stuff on the fire beat is starting to fly around. That means it's the end of summer. Did you guys know that this last week was your last free week? And this coming week, you get to start school? That means it's the end of summer. Somebody said to me just the other day, we are just a few weeks away from the beginning of the B.E.R. months. Are you homeschooled, sweetie? It starts on Wednesday. How many of you guys have heard of the B.E.R. months, the Burr months? September, October, November, December. What happens in December? Christmas, it's always at the end of the year, right? So we're thinking about end things, and that's, I wanted to show you something, making, helping me think about end things. Let me see, there's something that seems really well packed from Christmas time. There's a hole in it. There's a hole in it. Yeah, I'm mad about it. If you go in the front. These people are there. That's why you're Okay, here we go. If I held this up, what is that? Baby Jesus. Baby Jesus. Why would I have baby Jesus? What does that make us think about? I don't know. About Christmas, right? Okay. And then, this is Joseph. Now remember, we talked about Joseph last week in church. And then this is Jesus' mother Mary. And then, they rode to Bethlehem on a and they had the donkey there in the stable with them. And then it said that there were shepherds out in the field watching over their flocks. And the angels came to them and said, Fear not, for I bring good tidings of great joy, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And then it says in the Bible that three kings came to worship the baby Jesus and give gifts, right? Isn't that what it says in the Bible? It says that they all got together and they worshiped Jesus at the stable and they brought their gifts. But there was one bad king. 
There was one bad king, not these guys. These are good kings. There was a bad king. What was his name? Do you remember? No. Herod. What? What were these guys' names? I don't know. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Well, let me see what the Bible does tell us about the kings. They gave gifts. It said they gave gifts. It says... Now, Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem in the village in the, in the area known as Judea in the days of Herod, the bad king. And behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? So we saw his star when it, was, when it rose and had come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And then it goes on and it says, When they saw the star, the king saw the star, they, they, the wise men saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And then going to the house where they saw the child and Mary, his mother, they fell down and worshipped him, and they opened their treasures, and they offered him gold, gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to King Herod, they departed to their own country. And here's two things I want you to hear as I just read to you this story. Number one, these guys are not kings. These guys in the Bible are called wise men. That's number one. Number two, how many gifts did they bring? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How many wise men were there? What did the Bible say? The Bible didn't say how many. Listen to it again. Uh, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the bad king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And then it says, and they, they saw the star and rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him and being warned in a dream not to return to the bad king Herod, they departed to their own country by other ways. The Bible does not say how many wise men there were. It says men, so we know there was more than one, but the Bible doesn't say three. People just say three. Now, listen, the other thing is when you see this set up at Christmas time, don't you always see Mary and Joseph in some kind of a stable, like a barn house or something? And these guys come to the barn? What did the Bible just say? They came to Jesus and Mary, his mother, in the house where they were staying. Why? Because, if you read further, Jesus wasn't a brand new baby born in a stable when these guys showed up. The Bible says these guys showed up and Jesus was somewhere between the age of zero and two. They don't know how old Jesus was exactly, but he was somewhere under the age of two, and they were no longer living in a stable. They had already moved into a house there in Bethlehem. What? See, it's important to know what the Bible says and not what people say about the Bible. Because this is a nice story, and we love talking about this story at Christmas time, but it may not be exactly what the Bible says. And what the Bible says is the only thing that we can know to be true. This is just people's stories. So, we know Jesus was born. Yeah. No question. We know his mother was Mary and his earthly father was Jesus. Joseph. We know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem 
and he lived, he was put into a place, a feeding, hold on a second, put into a feeding trough when he was a baby. And we know that angels appeared to shepherds and said, go worship him, and they did. But this part of that Christmas story actually happened maybe a year or two after he was born, and he was almost two years old. And we don't know how many guys came. It could have been two, could have been three, could have been a hundred. We don't know. But we know that they had three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And that's what I want you to remember. When you see this story next Christmas time, I want you to tell your mom and dad, read it to me out of the Bible. Because I want to know what the Bible says about the story of Jesus' birth. Yes, ma'am. You do? Cool. Very cool. I want you guys, I want to pray for you guys right now, and then you're going to go back to your class with your teacher. Jesus, I ask that you bless these kids. And even in just this little tiny example, I pray, Father, that you would impress on them that they need to know what your word says for themselves. And not listen to the stories that people tell them. Sometimes the stories are true. Sometimes the stories are based in truth. But Father, only if they read the Bible for themselves can they know the truth. And I ask God your blessing on them as they seek the truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, told you last week that we're going to be looking at the second chapter of Matthew. I want to share with you just a little bit of stuff before we get into that. Number one, I had challenged the congregation a couple, three weeks back that if you would join me, my intent is to read through the book of Matthew every single week. There are 28 chapters in the book of Matthew. That means if you read four chapters every single day, Every week, you will finish the Gospel of Matthew. And if you do that with me through now to the end of February, you will have read the Gospel of Matthew upwards of 30 times. I am on. I am not on. Testing, one, two, six. Am I now on? Oh, well, let me start that again for the recording. I am challenging the congregation to read with me the Gospel of Matthew, four chapters a day, seven days a week. That means you'll have gone through the Gospel every single week. And if you do it with me between now and March, you will have read through the Gospel 28 times or 30 times. For me, it's very easy to read four chapters a day. For some people, that may be overwhelming. Don't let yourself get bogged down. The whole point of this is just to immerse yourself in the Word of God. But I want to share with you what happened to me this morning. This is not my sermon. This is just personal testimony. Um, I had a wedding to prepare for yesterday. I had a board meeting to prepare for. I had other things I had to do. I had to get a sermon ready. I had this. I had that. I had this. I had that. And I came over here very early yesterday morning. And I had quiet time with God. And then I realized that I had gotten distracted halfway through my Bible reading because somebody came in and needed to talk with me. And so then when I got back to my desk... I had already set my Bible to the side and I didn't actually get to the reading of Matthew. I had done the other stuff. I'd done the Proverbs and the Psalms and the Old Testament reading, but I hadn't read out of Matthew. So I set it down. So this morning I came over to the church really early so I could have my private time because I was like, God, I got a lot to do, but I have to have time with you first. 
You have to have primary time. If nothing else, I have to spend time with you. The rest of it can fall by the wayside if it has to, but I'm going to read your word. So I read through the Proverbs for the, I prayed first. And I spent a good 15, 20 minutes in prayer. And then finally I prayed through, I read through the Proverbs for today. I read through the Psalms for the day. I read through the Old Testament passage for the day. And I opened up my Bible and it said I was on Matthew 21. No, I'm supposed to be on Matthew 25. I'm reading four every day. Oh no, I didn't read Matthew yesterday because I got distracted. (sighs) Okay, I'll just read just the four chapters today. I don't have time. Okay, God, I will read all eight chapters. (laughs) And honestly, the Holy Spirit was like, no, you're going to read all eight chapters. And literally, as I was reading from chapter 21 through chapter 28, I got closer and closer and closer to chapter 27. And I started dreading it. And I was like, God, I don't want to read these words this morning. I don't. I don't want to read these words. And the Spirit of God said, you're going to read all the way through to the end. Well, chapter 27 is the betrayal and the scourging and the crucifixion and the death. I did not want to read those words. I was light of spirit this morning as I came to church. I was in a good mood. Things were going great for me. And God made me focus on the death of Christ. Now, there is the resurrection. And that's wonderful. But God really had me focus this morning. And again, this is not my sermon. This is extra. You don't have to like it. You're just going to get extra this morning. But I want to read to you out of chapter 27 of Matthew, just one verse. Because this is the one that gripped me. Verse 33. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. That's not the one. Here it is. Verse 35. And when they had crucified them, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. That's it. Verse 35. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting his lots. And when they had crucified him. And when they had crucified him. Six words. To the greatest event that ever happened in all of humanity. Six words. I think it deserves a little more honor than that. But those were the six words that God inspired the gospel writer to put down. And when they had crucified him. Because if you think about it, and again, this isn't my sermon. This is just what God did for me this morning. I love you enough, Bob. I'm willing to look over all of your sin. I want relationship with you enough that I was willing to sacrifice my only begotten son so that we could have fellowship. And when they crucified him. Thank you, Jesus. Well, let's look at the gospel of Matthew chapter two. Because that's where we're at this morning. 
And I had shared with you when I started this that I wasn't going to be able to do the entire chapter because it's just too many things. Uh, that it was going to be more of a topical sermon series rather than an exegetical exposition of the chapter. Well, this week we're going to do more of a Bible study than we are going to do an actual topical sermon. And so I want to just quickly, we're going to read through the whole thing because it's only 30, 23 verses. So it's not that long. But I want to read through it, break, talk for a little bit, read through it, break, talk for a little bit as we work our way through this. First of all, chapter 2, verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, okay, it doesn't say anything about Nazareth, does it? But he's known as the Nazarene. If you skip to the last verse of chapter 2, it says, And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Oh, that's it, God. Jesus wasn't originally from Nazareth. He moved to Nazareth after his two-year birthday when God called him out of Egypt, which we're going to read about in just a little bit. And then he became a Nazarene. And then the Lord said, mm, Bob, if you remember a couple, three weeks ago, you preached a sermon where you said one plus one plus one plus one equals one. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John give the full story of the gospel of Jesus. So if you look in Luke chapter 2, which is the birth narrative of Jesus from Luke, and uh, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to turn there. In that chapter, it says, <clears throat> In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And then if you go further on in that book, in that chapter, it says, um, where is it at? I mean, not further on. If you go back in chapter one, sorry, it talks about verse 26 in the sixth month. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin who was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. So in Luke, we get the understanding. We, we get the knowledge, the truth that indeed Joseph and Mary were both citizens of the village of Nazareth. The reason they ended up in Bethlehem was because the government said, everyone to your ancestral home. So then even though she was great with child, she was in her ninth month, she shouldn't have had to be traveling. The government required everyone to travel back to their ancestral home to do a census. So Joseph had to take his pregnant wife, who was great with child, along that journey down to Bethlehem to be registered. And it was at that time, while they were in the village or town of Bethlehem, that she ended up giving birth to Jesus. Now, it all fulfilled prophecy, and we, we don't have time this morning to go all through that. But the reality was, they were from Nazareth. They then left Nazareth because of a government decree. They stayed in Nazareth for upwards of two years. And then in a little bit, we're going to see that they left Nazareth and went to, Ju to Egypt for a period of time. So let's move on now. Verse 2 of chapter 2. See, this is going to be a really short Bible study. We've gone through one verse already of 28. Okay, verse 2. Uh, actually, the end of verse 1. 
Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Oh, Herod the king. Let's go there. One of the little girls, uh, Victoria, said, I know who the, one of the kings are, Herod. And I told her, bad king, bad, bad king. Well, do you know why he's such a bad king? Does anybody know Herod's story? What's his story? He wanted to kill Jesus. You know who else he wanted to kill? His own kids. You know who else he wanted to kill? His wife. You know who else he wanted to kill? I think it was her uncle. This man was crazy. Anyone who he felt threatened by, he killed him. One of the stories I read about Herod was that he didn't want anybody to know that he was having his child killed. So he just hired somebody to teach him how to swim underwater. And then when the kid drowned, he held this elaborate state funeral. Oh, it's so sad. His wife didn't see through it. I mean, did see through it completely. So he had her killed. Because she was conspiring with someone else to take over from him because he was a nut. So he just had her and him killed. And he had two of his kids killed because he thought they were trying to take over from him. This is the kind of man that was over the government who, who then the, the guys who were wise came and said, where's the guy who's been born king of the Jews? Wow, that gives us a whole new perspective on this story. Let's look at chapter 2, verses 1, 2, 3, and again. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the, ah, the bad king, behold, wise men, we don't know how many, from the east came to Jerusalem. They didn't go to Bethlehem. They didn't go to Nazareth. They went to Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Because that was where the seat of government was. They were coming to see the king who had been born. It is likely, and scholars will support this, that they thought they were coming to a country that was celebrating the birth of a new king. So the wise men came and said in Jerusalem, Hey, where's the baby? The one that's been born king of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. Herod heard this and was troubled. Mildly agitated, slightly concerned. Herod wasn't Jewish. Herod had been placed in authority by the Roman government. Herod was a freak. He was scared to death of losing his position and would do anything to hold on to his position. So when Herod, the king, heard this, verse 3, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. I wonder why. And assembling all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people of Israel, he inquired of them to where of where the Christ was to be born out of the prophecies, out of the scriptures. And these people told him, well, the scripture says to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. And so Herod then summoned these wise men secretly, verse seven, and he ascertained from them the time frame when the star appeared. See, the wise men saw the star when the baby was born, but they didn't arrive until a year or two later because they were coming following the star, if you will. So then Herod says to these wise men, when did the star appear? So he now has a timeline of knowing any child, any male child born in Bethlehem from this date through the present is my enemy. 
And so then he, they, he said them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me back word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had been seen, that they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And they opened his presence and they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then being warned in a dream not to return to Herod. Why? Because they knew the identity of the kid and they knew where he was. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Isn't this an interesting story? When you put your little nativity set up underneath your tree every Christmas, do you think about all this garbage? It's so fun. It's so nice. We have Jesus and baby jo- and Joseph and Mary and all the shepherds. And we have a star and we have the kings and they come and they present their gifts. And we don't even think about all the violence and the fear and the horror of this story. Because think about what happens next. Let's go. Verse 13. When they had departed, when the wise men had departed, then behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to whom? To the caregiver. To the one, if you remember from last week, Mr. Beaver. The man of integrity, the man of honor, the man of, of, uh, who wants to do what is right. The man who's using his strength and his power to protect and care for. God has given him word through a dream. Rise, take the child and his mother and flee. Because someone... Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph rose, took the child and his mother by night. I imagine he literally went, Mary, Mary, wake up. Oh, uh, baby's fine. No, get up, get up. We gotta go now. What? Just shut up. Get up. Go. And literally, they left that night for Egypt. He rose, took the child and his mother by night. They departed to Egypt and they remained there until the death of bad King Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken of by the prophet out of Egypt. I have called my son. And then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and he had killed all of the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years of age and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. And that fulfilled this prophecy, and it reads the prophecy. What a horrible, horrible story. And then finally, verse 19, when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose, and he took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus, who was a son of, the, of, of Herod, was reigning over, the, uh, over Judea in place of his father, he was afraid to go there, because he is a pretty bad guy. So he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. 
Now, there's a couple things. This is the story. We, we just read what the Bible really says about the birth of Jesus and, and how God interacted and the wise men inherited and the whole thing. But there's, a, there's something I want you to understand in here. The wise men heard directly from God. How? Through a dream. They saw the star. That was their astrology. That was their stuff. And the stuff was telling them all of their... And I, I don't want to poo-poo it. And I certainly don't want to encourage it. But at the same time, I don't want to make, give it a whole lot of honor. Because that's not my concern. There are people who can read nature and, and know things from nature. But that's not my concern. My concern is God specifically communicated with these wise men that they were not to go back to the king. Why? Not because he cared about the wise men fraternizing with the king who was bad, but because he was trying to protect the whole plan. If the baby Jesus was killed, there would never be the cross. There would never be the resurrection. The plan had been put into place and God was doing everything to protect the plan. So the guys, the wise guys from the east came and spilled the beans to the one guy who had the power to destroy everything, to totally take out the plan of God. And don't you think the powers of evil on the earth were excited because we've got him now. We've got him. All I have to do is find that baby and come back to Herod and tell him where he's at. And it's done. And God circumvents the plan of the, of the evil one and says, go and tell the, 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 these guys in a dream... Don't go back to Herod. So they don't. But then Herod's still on the rampage. Herod is still knowing that there's somebody out there who's king of the Jews and he's going to take my place. And I know that he was born at this time. So I'm going to get rid of every kid that lives in that region. So I know I caught him in a, in a huge wide net. All of you soldiers go kill every male child under, child under the age of two. Now. But just before that happens, in the middle of the night, God specifically communicates with the caregiver, the protector, the man of purity and honor who wants to do justice for God. And God says to him in a dream, get up now and get out of there. And he does. He doesn't question it. Why? Because he's already been through this a couple times. When God talks to him through a dream, he just does it now. He doesn't, he doesn't question. He just does it because this is how God communicates to him. And then he goes to Egypt and he lives anonymously in Egypt for however long. We don't know. I guess you could figure it out if you looked at the timeline of when Jesus was supposedly born and when Herod the Great died. You could probably figure it out. But the bottom line is he stays in Egypt until another moment when God himself says to him in a dream, it's now safe. You can go back. But then using his own sense, his own wisdom, his own smarts, he goes, I ain't going back to Bethlehem. Look who's in charge of that area. Because see, what I'm saying, the charge of the area thing, what you don't know, because the Bible doesn't clearly say it, when Herod died, nobody took over. They split it up into three regions. They have what's called the Tetrarchs now, the Tetrarchy. There's three rulers. And so Archelaus, one of the sons of Herod, became the Tetrarch over this region known as Judea. And so Joseph's like, I'm not going there because he's almost as bad as his dad. So they went home to Nazareth and they lived anonymously. 
until Jesus was 12. And we don't really have much more of the story of Joseph. As a matter of fact, this is the end of his story, pretty much. He's mentioned once or twice more in the Gospels, but pretty much this is the end of Joseph's story. But it was key. It was key because God had a plan. And God's timing was perfect. And God knew exactly what, when, who, where, who was going to be in different positions and how it was all going to be worked out. And God spoke directly to the people he knew he could trust to do what needed to be done, to bring about the plan. And what's really cool, if you look in the, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, which I'll turn there because I got it marked. <laughs> chapter 2 uh, of the book of Acts, it says, I had it marked. Here we go. Peter stands up. This is after the, Pente- the Pentecostal moment happens when the Spirit of God is just washed over the people and whoosh, flames are, are dancing around on their heads and there's sound of rushing wind and the people are out in the streets going, what in the world's going on? And Peter stands up and speaks and, uh, and thousands of people get saved. And Peter, in his speaking, says, he quotes from the prophet Joel. He says, in the last days it will be, God declares, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. There's the proof that Joseph was a hundred years old when Mary was only 14. He was an old man having dreams. Nah. But the reality was the prophet Joel spoke that prophecy anywhere from 300 to 500 years before Christ was born. Scholars don't know exactly when. But that prophecy that was spoken over the nation of Israel by the prophet Joel was prophesied three to five centuries before the time that it was needed. But it was happening. God was pouring out his spirit on people. God had a plan. God was making something happen. And God was giving dreams to certain people. God was giving words of knowledge to certain people. And then as Jesus progressed in his ministry, the, and then finally when Jesus was crucified, dead, and then he resurrected, and then he was ascended into heaven, then God poured out the Holy Spirit of God onto all of the believers and inhabited them, and they began to speak forth prophecy. And it says, the young people will prophesy, the old men will dream dreams, and this is the sign of the end times. And guess what? If you look in Hebrews, it says... God is the same yesterday and today and forever. And what does that mean to us? That means that God is still speaking to his people through words of knowledge, through prayer, through, uh, <coughs> excuse me, through dreams, through visions. So the question for you guys is, how do you receive? Now, I won't go so far as to say, well, if you're getting your messages into the dream, that means you're in the old category. <laughs> But I will say that God does speak to his people. The Bible clearly tells us God speaks to his people. The the word of God clearly tells us that God has a plan. God knew three to five centuries before Christ that there was going to be a need for dreams. And God spoke these things to the people of God so that they could look back and go, oh, that was from God. Now, what am I saying to you and why do you need to know all of this today? Because just like Joseph had a mission from God. Just like Joseph needed to know when he heard God's voice, I need to act now. So do you. You may not have the whole picture. You may not have all of the details. The the wise guys didn't. They totally blew it. They should never have gone to, to Jerusalem and talked to Herod. I think that was a human thing. But God was able to circumvent 
God could bring good out of bad. But what I'm saying is God has a specific plan for you. God had you be born on this earth at this time for a specific reason. There may only be one thing that you're called to do until you fade out of the picture. But you need to be faithful to do whatever it is that God has for you. And how do you know what to do? You need to listen for the voice of God. And if you don't know how to hear God's voice, you need to train yourself to hear the voice of God so that when the time comes, you don't second guess. Because Joseph had learned through the process of humiliation how to discern the voice of God through the prayer so that when the moment came that God said, get out of Dodge, they're coming to kill the babies. There was no hesitation. He fulfilled what needed to be done to keep the plan of God going. And who knows but what you are the next key player in the story of God. So your job, day by day, moment by moment, is to read the word of God, to pray regularly, to stay close to God, to follow the teachings of God, and to know when you hear God's voice. And if any of that's not in place, you need to get it in place. You need to get to the point where when God speaks, you just go. You don't question it. Why? Because you never know. You may be Joseph keeping something going that God needs going because an army is coming to destroy, kill, and steal. So I'm encouraging you. Use this story. Every time you set up your nativity set from now on, challenge yourself. God has made himself available to us by the power of his Holy Spirit. God inhabits his people. God speaks to his people. As I'm setting out this thing, am I a wise guy who messes it up? Or am I a Joseph who clearly hears the word of God and acts in a moment, keeping the plan of God going? That's my challenge to you this week. You've got three months to get your act together before you set up your your nativity set. That way you don't have to feel guilty when you set it up and go, oh yeah, pastor said I should have. Okay, let's pray. God, I don't know why you had me say these words, but I knew that you wanted me to say these words and I have felt such power as I spoke those words. So obviously somebody here had to hear those words. And what that says to me is that you're speaking to them right now. You are calling them out. Father, if there is a person in this room right now who has been playing games, yeah, they're here in church, but they don't really look at your word very much. And yeah, they believe, but uh, it's just kind of like a... It's what I was grew up with. You know, it's the thing you go to church on Sunday. Father God, clear all that out. There is a plan and a purpose and a real thing that they are being called to. And I pray, Father, that you would help them to become serious about their relationship with you. Father God, if there's a Christian here, someone who has a relationship with you, but who has no power, who just feels like there just is a struggle for them to live their life and try to be honoring of you. God, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just descend on them. And that they would receive by faith the gift of your Holy Spirit's sanctification, the empowerment to live the life that you've called them to live and the cleansing that you can provide of the carnal nature, (coughs) which keeps us from wanting to do the things of God. And then finally, God, if there's somebody here who has been faithful and they're in a vital relationship with you and they are walking in the power of the spirit and they know how to discern your voice. Father, I pray that you would help them to clearly hear your voice and that they would stand forward and be a witness of God and to be a proponent of God and to see a mighty work of God come about in their life as a result of their faithfulness to you and your calling on them. And then finally, God, 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.